Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Earwax Radio, episode number six. It is October 23rd, and uh, we're zooming in again today. We're going to do another targeted episode in celebration of Brandon's birthday. That was on Thursday, and uh, he is now 27. He's now a contender for the 27 Club. And uh, I'm also a contender. I'm still 27, mm-hmm. currently. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the 27 Club. That is basically the uh, grouping of uh, late musicians, celebrities, actors. It started as pretty much just musicians, but it's kind of expanded as things do. Um, and um, we're just gonna go over some. Uh, Musicians, artists, that's all we're going to do. We're going to stick because we're purists, you know. Um, in this episode, we are going to cover six of the many members of the 27 Club. We're going to kind of st- switch off between the two of us. Um, but we're going to do Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Peter Ham, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse. Without further ado... We're going to just jump right into it. So we're going to start out with Brian Jones. Brian Jones, born in uh, 1942, was one of the guys behind the Rolling Stones. Um, His music journey began at age 17, knocked up one of his high school classmates. Um, She ended up going through with the pregnancy all the way to term, although Jones was pretty enthusiastic about having an abortion. Um, then the kid was given up for adoption, like right away. Uh, this kind of set Jones into a depressive spiral and it ended up with him, uh, dropping out of high school in his senior year and traveling around Northern Europe, busking with his guitar and living what is considered a bohemian, bohemian lifestyle. You know what that is? It's basically like a counterculture lifestyle. Like you're, you know, you're not in the normal nine to five world. You're kind of like transient, for lack of a better word. And you're kind of just like he was busking, you know, just kind of street performer, hanging out with the weird people, being freaky, trying weird sex positions, you know, doing <laughs> doing the weird doing shit. The good drugs. Yeah, doing the good drugs. And he did that for a while as a late teenager until he moved back to England. Um, In 62, the Rolling Stones was formed, uh, cruising around the Sussex, England area. And uh, the the band name came from, kind of funny story, uh, Jones is on the phone with a venue owner for one of their first kind of performances. And they didn't have a name at all. And the, the venue owner was, like, asking him, okay, what the hell do you guys call yourself? 
and he kind of rushed. He was undecided about a title. A Muddy Waters album was on the ground with the track Rolling Stone Blues. And that. and he, that's just what they kind of came to mind for him, and he fucking that's what they ran with. It, mm-hmm. They originally were rolling apostrophe stones, now they're rolling stones. Um, but yeah, Jones was the original front man. <clears throat> he played lead and rhythm guitars, sitar, keyboard, and wind instruments. He kind of um, on the sitar, bro. Yeah, he kicked ass with with all sorts of stuff in the beginning there, um, but. He kind of had his struggles as well, and uh, about seven years later, a few albums in, he was kicked out of the band. He was always kind of an outsider. Uh, he just kind of over time became less present, both in the music making process and kind of his stage presence. Wow. He was um, got arrested a couple times for being kind of reckless and, and drug possession. Nothing too crazy. I think weed was at least one of those. Maybe maybe both of them. Yeah. Um, you know, participation kind of declined, drug use increased, just getting kind of rowdier, isolating himself. And then uh, time came, the band was set to do an American tour, and um, they decided to boot Jones out before going on that tour, which is pretty hardcore. Because of his behavior? Yeah, just kind just of being an being asshole. A, yeah. Yeah. Um, just wasn't really getting along with anybody, just kind of being rowdy, et cetera. And literally three weeks after he got kicked out of the band, the man was found drowned in his swimming pool. Oh. Uh, motionless, in fact. <laughs> yeah, he was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. Um, the coroner report, drowning in death by misadventure, which I've always loved that that term. Yeah, that means you're acting a fool. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably you, came across. fucked around and found out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You probably came across that term yeah. when you were doing your shit too. Yeah. And what's that even mean? It basically means like just like an accident of being like intoxicated, right? Yeah, misadventure, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't it, even know. <laughs> it yeah, it, it's just I think it's basically just saying some accident. Yeah, I think it means it's an accident, more specifically an accident in which poor judgment was used. Right. <laughs> like, right. No, that's probably, yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, yeah. His liver and heart were heavily enlarged. So that was the end of him. He was, he was, that was on a uh, July 3rd of 1969. Um, and of course there's a couple murder theories going around. That's, that's a common theme with, with a lot of the, the three guys I had topic, uh, researched at least. Um, and so, one of them for Brian Jones was he was killed by the last person that supposedly saw him live, which was a construction worker that was doing a job at his place. Oh. And the beef was that he owed the worker a, bun- or a bunch of money or he wanted to get paid more or something. And so there was tension. Fucking, of course, you Drowned, know. Strangled him and threw him in the pool, man. Yeah, I guess, you know. <laughs> and there's a couple of deviations of of all of that. And there's also a film that came out in 2005 called stoned that dramatizes this this murder theory and this death and okay and all this shit that might um, be worth checking out yeah yeah <laughs> um as far as tributes go for this guy um jim morrison published a poem ode to la while thinking of brian jones deceased and Jimi hendrix dedicated a song to him that would uh, more of like a performance to him that was on u.s television at that at the time 
And I, I have those tributes down because we cover both of these guys too, because they're both future members, future alumni of, of Brian Jones and the 27 club, okay. which is one of the earlier, um, uh, 27 club members, as far as like the, the core grouping. Yeah. Um, Seems like it started with the fellows in the 60s. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can get to... I want to get to a little bit more of the... Um, the 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 creation of the 27 Club, too, a little bit later on. It, it, one of the members is specifically tied to that. But, really? but, yeah, that's pretty much all I have on Brian Jones. So I guess you can move on to just that following year with good old Jimmy. Jimmy... Yeah, Jimi Hendrix. He's one cool cat. He had a he had a pretty crazy and short-lived life all the way up to uh his uh mysterious death that to this day some might say is unresolved. But uh some background on the man himself. He uh he was born in the good old city of Seattle, Washington. Um, there he uh, grew up to the age of 19 where he was being a little hoodlum and was caught a couple of times riding in stolen vehicles. He was given the choice to uh, join the army or go to prison. So what's a kid to do but sign his life away to the army but um as fate would have it he was a little shit in the army too and he ended up getting discharged about a year later um after that he uh ended up moving to nashville tennessee where he was just doing some gig work uh piling around some other artists doing a lot of uh in and out with bands here and there and that kind of went on for a few years um where Kind of around in 1964 was the time when uh, the Jimi Hendrix started, Jimi Hendrix experience started forming, and um, they ended up being uh, flown out to London, where that's where they spent a lot of their time performing and recording their music. Um, one of the first songs they recorded was Hey Joe, and we all know how big that song is because it just slams. So, yeah, things were going good. Uh, Jimmy was, you know, living the rock star life. He was selling out these massive arenas. Um, They were just selling the shit out of their records. Uh, The group came out, you know, with Purple Haze and the uh, Are You Experienced album, and that, that just blew everything out of the water and then became super popular on the UK charts and uh, the American charts and... Things were just going great. Um, and that kind of led to him, you know, doing more drugs and getting into LSD and uh, drinking a lot while he was tripping out. And people said that just turned him into a different person. And it kind of, that, that kind of led to his downward spiral. Um, he even had alluded that he wasn't feeling, you know, so right in the head. He, and during an interview, he said, um, in a quoted, he said, I'm not so sure I will live to be 28 years old. 
which is a pretty ominous uh, comment to have, you know, when you're kind of on a binge of going down uh, down this path and uh, you've already been living the high life for a few years. Um, anyway, he, uh, he made friends with this uh, German model, uh, Monica Dannemann. Um, they, uh, you know, she was a fan and had met up with him after a show and they ended up kicking it, hitting off really well. And, uh, turns out, uh, Miss Danneman was the last person to be with Jimmy when, before he died, uh, with him when he died. Uh, uh, they were partying that night, uh, having dinner at, Hendrix place at the Summerkind Hotel in London. And uh, after having dinner and sharing a bottle or two of wine, they uh, ended up going to Danneman's place at around three in the morning. And she says that they both went to sleep. And when she woke up around 11, she found him breathing, but unconscious and unresponsive. And she called the ambulance and they came and picked him up. Uh, they pronounced him dead like a couple hours later at the hospital, St. Mary's Abbott's hospital, uh, there in London. And, um, her story kind of changed a bit after the coroner report. Um, he, the report came out that he died of asphyxia from choking on his vomit and from intoxication from barbiturates. And so, uh, she ended up changing her story a bit to where he uh, took nine of her Vesperax sleeping pills, which is 18 times the recommended dosage. Um, this is in line with the coroner report. So as far as I know, uh, Monica Danneman passed the check and she was let go. Uh, but there's a lot of speculation that she had something to do with it because, and this is all just conspiracy theory at this point, but um, there's a theory out there that she was in touch with uh, Jimmy's manager at the time, Michael Jeffrey, who was being fired by uh, Hendrix. And Jimmy had ceased making payments to him, and uh, out of anger and you know, out of breach of contract and things like that, he uh, ended up admitting in an interview with James Tappy Wright, who wrote in a book uh, this uh, personal hand account uh, recollection from Jeffrey that uh, him and a gang of guys went to uh, Daneman's house and ended up uh, murdering Jimmy. Um, he said that uh, we went round to his hotel room, stuffed a handful of pills in his mouth, then poured a few bottles of wine down his windpipe. Um, you know, that could be true. You know, um, Michael Jeffrey ended up dying in a plane crash, actually. Um, so he can't really speak on the matter anymore. But if that, that ends up being a true account, then, you know, it, it, it's in line with the death report and everything. So... If that's a confession, then who knows? But only him and those group of guys and Monica would know. And that, nothing's come out officially at this time, so who can say? Um, another 
theory is that possibly Hendrix was murdered by the mafia um, a year prior he was allegedly kidnapped over a drug deal gone wrong and he was uh, held account for a time by the mafia um that one you know sounds a little more far-fetched i don't i don't know the credibility to that i'm kind of more leaning towards the uh michael jeffrey story that sounds a little plausible and crazy um you know james tappy wright was a big player at the time and it's possible that they could have had that firsthand, just personal confession, sort of casual talk even. But perhaps we'll never know. Maybe we will. But uh, due to the pressures of his rock star life and social pressures of his uh, friend group weighing down on his mind and just kind of losing it, he... Uh, you know, he's solidified in the halls of the 27 Club. Um, kind of hard to believe, you know, that these get people that uh, live so hard, get so big, and then uh, they just end up dying so young. But kind of hard to even see them as 27, you know. Now that I'm here, it's like, pfft, he was my age? It's crazy. But, uh Yeah. That's Jimi Hendrix, and uh, you can uh, take it away, Matt. Right on. Well, then I'll get on to the next Jimmy, dude. This is probably my favorite guy that I got into, and that's uh, The Doors' very own Jim Morrison. Um, this guy has a lot of dense conspiracy stuff surrounding him, so I, if anyone's interested, I'd probably go down that rabbit hole alone because that would be that's a whole podcast worth of shit but it starts out because his dad was um george stephen morrison he was a navy admiral commander during the gulf of tonkin incident which is basically like when we faked our way into um uh vietnam and uh so he grew grew up a, 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 a military brat and he was moving all over the place and that kind of contributed to him being a black sheep. He was more into books. He was recognized as a little nerdy reader boy and poet from high school age. And there's actually an anecdote where uh, he's doing these reports, book reports for high school that were on these books that his teacher had never heard of before. And she thought he was full of shit. And um, she sent another teacher, or another teacher was going to the Library of Congress, and she um, asked this other teacher colleague to check out if these books that Jim had done these reports on were real or not, uh-huh. and they were. And there was these like super heady, fucking philo- philosophical, gnarly books that he was going in on, and and that was kind of more of his identity too. He always wanted to be more recognized for his poetry and his uh, writings than being a rock star guy. Uh It seemed like there's conflicting things to that, but he was really into stuff on philosophy, um, morality, existentialism, uh, and under the black sheep tab, he pretty much was 
um, out of his family by after he graduated college. She kind of wrote them off and didn't have much of a relationship with them for the most part. Right after he graduated college, he he started doing music the doors with one of his class uh, classmates, film student at UCLA. Um, the The Doors is from Aldous Huxley's book, The Doors of Perception, which is a psychedelic drug kind of Was it Aldous thematic. Huxley? Yeah, yeah. It's Brave New World, David, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I'd love to get into that book, too. It sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, they, they partied pretty hard until... October 1970, they got done with their sixth album, and uh, Morrison was pretty burnt out on on life, love, and everything else. And uh, he decided to go to Paris for an extended stay. And he was there for a number of months and then two years to the day after Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones died, Morrison was also found dead and also in a, in a collection of water this time, a bathtub, (laughs) uh, early in the morning, his, his girlfriend found him. Um, the cause of death listed was heart failure. Although, um, according and along with French custom at the time, at least, no autopsy was, was performed at all. So that was kind of uh, a spark and a little crack in the yeah. in the eye for conspiracy kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of alternative tales that go along with this one as well. And I would definitely... This is the most interesting kind of body of research that I came across while doing all of this. And uh, kind of play off of details like um, his girlfriend's story was immediately inconsistent. Um, some people think that he straight up like Pulp Fiction himself, like <laughs> snorted some um, heroin when he thought it was Coke. Oh, Neil Wallace himself? Yeah. Gotcha. And uh, <laughs> thought that that's maybe what, what done her. Um, and then there's there's other eyewitness accounts that that <clears throat> report him overdosing out clubbing at a nightclub and then being carried to his apartment mm-hmm. and then whatever for cover up reasons or whatever. And then there's also a bunch of stuff that believe that he may have faked his own death kind of with the help perhaps of, um, faked his death, faked his death. Yeah. And went and boogied out. That's just a, that's just kind of, loose speculation. Some people just think since that he, his dad was so connected to the government that he maybe could, you know, pull some strings and mm-hmm. be able to disappear a little bit easier than nor- most people or, yeah. or whatever. I don't know. Um, but wrapping that this guy up, super funny, literally October 12th, 12th of this month, uh, the guitarist Robbie Krieger, guitarist from the doors, Robbie Krieger was interviewed and he revealed that in the wake of Jimi Hendrix and Jay, uh, Janis Joplin's passings, um, Morrison kept saying that he was going to become number three. And, uh, 
kind of bandmates and friends thought he was joking, you know, of course. You know, of course you always want to think people are joking anyways. Um, although That's kind of spooky, mate. Although, Krieger said in his interview, Jim just had this fascination about death. He always wrote about it, so in a way he probably got what he wanted. Dude. This episode of the show is brought to you by a friend of the show, Mason Crow. Founded in 2020, Mason Crow is an emerging brand creating handcrafted leather stylings. Products include, but are not limited to, the Yari and Osaka men's messengers, Ryokin weekender bags, Sakura women's purses, Yebisu bifold wallets and Izanami long wallets. Mason Kuro never uses a sewing machine in the making of any of his products. And most of the leathers are French and Italian calf hides. And exotic materials range from alligator, ostrich, python, and lizard hides. Bespoke orders are also always welcome. Customize your own luxury product. Availability and time frames are subject to order type and current order volumes. So head over to MasonCurro.com and browse some of their latest work or follow them on Instagram at HomemadeCurro and you can just check the description of this episode and find links to all of this stuff too. Thank you. All right, this next guy is kind of a tragic story. Um, Peter Ham of the band Badfinger. It's a really, real tragic tale, honestly, with him. Uh, he got fucked over pretty hard by his uh, manager. Another manager story. Yeah, it's kind of seems to be like kind of a recurring theme. Fuck. Yeah. The recurring thing with me was was girlfriends. Yeah. No, I guess the you know the music industry is a lawless place, but it seems like in the seventies and sixties and all that it was even worse. All these managers just stealing money, bro. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Basically, Stan Poley um, got in touch with these with this uh, band, Badfinger, and ended up signing them. Got him a record deal with Warner Bros. And uh, I think it was believe it was like they got had to have like a three three record deal uh, succession. So in the like within six years, they had to write three records. And things were going good. They wrote their first record, got that out, and then things started going bad when. Warner Bros. ended up suing Stan Poley and the band because Stan Poley had this, uh, in, in their deal, they were to have a mutual fund of $250,000 that is sort of like in a direct, like both parties can interact with it and like use it for things. Well, evidently Stan Poley put the funds in a account that he didn't tell Warner Bros. where it's at or how to access it. And he was ducking their calls and everything. Like, he was just not in contact. And so, uh, in doing all that, after a certain amount of time goes by, uh, Warner Bros. ended up halting Badfinger's contract, and they can no longer record or even perform. So, for, like, an entire year from uh, 1974 to 1975, they're kind of in limbo, don't really know what to do. And they're just kind of waiting to get their... You know, he, they can't even contact their manager. He's ducking them, too. So basically, so far, he's just stole money. Like, because, you know, Warner Bros. gave him the money, but it was supposed to be an account that they could access. So he's basically just dipped out. Well, time goes on, and uh, 
they 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 can't get they try contacting other managers and getting into other record deals and they they keep getting declined because they're in a breach contracts like so they they they, they we don't even want to touch it and it's Warner Bros you know they <laughs> they're going to win anything so uh that goes on and while this is happening uh Pete Peter Ham he's got a kid on the way she's like 8 months pregnant sort of towards the end of like the heating of all of this and um, the story goes that um, one night on April 23rd, 1975, uh, he met up with uh, Tom Evans, the bass player for the band. They went out to a pub, were getting drunk, and um, just having a good old time. And around 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, Tom drove him to his, uh, Peter's studio and dropped him off. And there he got a phone call that uh, basically saying that his money was gone. Like all of his savings and everything is just gone. So <clears throat> like uh, the band was just broke and nobody can get a hold and their contracts are done. So basically he's completely fucked and he ended up the very next morning uh, hanging himself in his studio. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he was found in his own studio and he left a suicide note it's kind of intense oh, fuck. suicide note reads and i love you blair i love you oh no i will not be allowed to love and trust everybody this is better p.s stan Polly is a heartless soulless bastard i will take him with me wow and that and about a month later, his baby was born. And oh no! Go. That's how it goes. So I'm take. I take it. There's not really a lot of conspiracy theories about this one. No, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, Stan Poli actually, I googled it, and he was. I mean, he lived for a very long time. He actually died. Uh, I think within the last decade. But I mean, he went on to keep fucking people over. Um, he never really. I don't think he really got into much trouble or for anything. Uh, after the band, after he died, two of the members ended up forming a second bad finger. Uh, and that went on for a little bit, but kind of the same sort of contract halts happened and sort of same deal. They couldn't keep making music and it's kind of the same deal that Tom Evans dude that ended up dropping him off at uh, Peter at his studio ended up killing himself too. Uh, Wow. Yeah. Just a few years later. Didn't Damn. mention him because he wasn't 27. He's not part of the theme, but nah, he's connected though. That's fucking. <clears throat> yeah, crazy. no, it's a, definitely a tragic fucking story that, uh, like, to to these members of these. I mean, they were a big band. They were like, uh, they're the same label, I guess, or whatever, same league as like, uh, like the Beatles. Like, they were the second biggest band behind the Beatles at the time. Like, they were wow. they were doing it big, but then yeah, after that one record, they were halted and. Um, like you know, a couple more records came out uh, eventually down the pipe af- after the dude died, but uh, Peter Ham. But yeah, uh, wow, pretty, pretty fucked up story. Yeah, that's one. That's the guy that I'm least familiar with on this list. Yeah, and you know of of their work through uh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. That's where I at least first was introduced to them. Yeah. All right. Well, rest in peace. Yeah. Peter Ham.
Rest in peace, Peter Ham. The only one we can really be sure that really died. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Pretty obvious, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's my turn now. And we're moving on to the, the hot one, Brandon. This is the hot, the juicy, the juicy one. <laughs> and uh, after this man's death, the the 27 Club terminology was coined. And that is Kurt Cobain, Nirvana. This is the one. Yep. <clears throat> um, he's local guy, relatively for us. He grew up in western Washington, kind of coastal Washington state. On his 14th birthday, he was given the choice of a gift between a bike and a guitar. And I don't think I have to tell you which one he chose. It was the bike. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He also dropped out his high school year, dude, senior year. And he got short-lived joke band going with a drummer from the Melvins. Really? Yeah, and it was called Fecal Matter. Nice. Yeah, and they only they only party together for like <clears throat> a year or so, I believe. Nineteen eighty seven came around, Nirvana was formed. Everyone knows Nirvana. Pretty pretty dope. Um the name, obviously taken from the Buddhist concept. Cobain described it as freedom from pain, suffering and the external world. Uh, their second album, Nevermind, was really what put them on the fucking map. It was a massive success. Radio play, iconic, like, timeless music we all know now. Um, Also popularized grunge in the process. Uh, But Cobain was kind of uneasy about the mainstream vibes that he was getting because it conflicted with kind of his super punk metal, you know, not metal, but fucking based Edgy, edgy fucking underground roots and vision yeah. going on with it. And he also felt that uh, he was misunderstood, man. You know, people like the messages. People didn't get his music. Yeah, yeah. He exactly. thought it was like party rock, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Rape> me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, it's something I kind of didn't really realize, but it seems like he was often championed as the spokesman of Generation X. Just kind of a oh. big title. But he obviously <clears throat> resented this fact. Um, but, yeah, he was a tragic figure also. He uh, kind of had some underlying medical deals that he struggled with his whole life, some stomach bullshit. and um, Can relate. Um, you know, just anxiety and depression kind of vibes and addiction. Um, and he was on tour with Nirvana uh, in um, spring of 94. And he became ill. He had some bronchitis and some laryngitis going on. And um, he was recovering for a few days over there. And meanwhile, he overdosed on booze and benzos Mm. and was hospitalized from this. And uh, Courtney Love described this incident as Cobain's first suicide attempt. Okay. Okay. Uh, Like, within a week from this incident, he returned to Seattle. Um, Soon thereafter, 
friends and fam got together. Um, Courtney Love uh, arranged uh, rehab or uh, what's it called? A fucking uh, intervention, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the homies. Um, he very hesitantly agreed to go to rehab. Like, they, everyone showed up at his spot. He's like, fuck. And he, like, hid in his bedroom for, like, <laughs> multiple hours. And then he came out and he was like, okay, dude. He's like, okay, I'll go. Um, hesitantly agreed, went down to rehab in Los Angeles from Seattle. And two days in, dude, he fucking went outside for a late night smoke. And he fucking hopped the fence. <laughs> and he fucking and he ba- bounced. Just he, dipped out of rehab? Yeah. Two days in, pretty much, or less than. And he took a cab to... That's so punk, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, this whole thing's pretty tragic and punk. And he made his <laughs> way back to Seattle. Um, Courtney Love, like, put a... Like, hired a PI to, like, look for him and shit at this point, you know, because he just escaped. But... Um, he doesn't appear. It doesn't appear like he went anywhere too crazy, because then just a few days after that, um, his body was found uh, at his home in like an, an interesting room above, like a like an additional bedroom above, like the garage or something that like apparently not a lot of people knew about was there. Like there was some like mis- mysterious nature of this of this um, room. And yeah, his uh, gunshot wound, big old shotgun, through through the mouth and everything. And um, an electrician of all people found him, and it was ironically it was a um, a man there hired to install a security system because Cobain was paranoid really? about crazy people and and uh, you know. This is completely different than what I thought. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear your your. I just heard that uh, Courtney Love found him and like. Courtney Love actually was out of town. Really? She wasn't even in the area during any of this. I don't know what I was thinking. Then. Yeah, and I'm. And also, his body had been there for a few couple of days before they found him. They deemed. Um, you threw this all up for me, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to, dude. Uh, yeah, there's a suicide note left too. That was kind of sus. Um, the front half of it kind of went into a lot about how it kind of made it sound like he was going to be quitting the music industry. No. And then towards the end of the suicide note, it got a no. little bit weird, weirder, and different like handwriting style and different vibes going on. Hmm. And then, uh, and yeah, he had taken. He had allegedly, you know, shot up a big old, her- you know, heroin snooter, and then did the deed. Um, oh, they found heroin in like in a system from the autopsy yeah. and all that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Well, he made, he you know he re- was relapsing or he had been off heroin for a day or whatever, a couple of days. Yeah. And um. Yeah. So, and dude, there's photos of his body and everything and his belongings. And in the photo, you just like clearly see it's like perfect product placement for the like darker blue pack of American Spirits. Oh. It's just like a perfect like face up American Spirits really? pack. It's kind of heady, honestly. I haven't seen that. It picture. made me understand American Spirits a lot more. Yeah, because it's I mean? kind of a 
thing around them too, like a little, yeah, yeah. It's an edgier thing in a, in a weird way. But anyways, yeah, this one has a ton of a conspiracy surrounding it. Um, of course, there's the infamous lore that everyone's heard about Courtney Love being involved. I. Uh, yeah, but um, I, okay. I mean, I didn't know she like think that she found him, but like, I heard that she was like, cause, like she was involved. Like she was there the night. Was she there the night before? I don't believe so. Because that's that's what I was thinking. I don't believe so. I think she, her being di- immediately involved is kind of out of the question. But it was a matter of wh- whether or not she had someone else kind of do things oh for her God. or whatever. But I didn't dive too deep into that stuff. I kind of just noted down here a couple fishy things about the whole situation. Um, dude had removed her from his will in the couple weeks before Really, this. That stood out as strange. Um, one of the things that people got were getting caught up on that I found was the... Having to do with like how large the traces of heroin were found in him and... People, some people have argued, including one of his friends, that he wouldn't have been able to pick up the shotgun and do such a thing. He'd been too fucking trashed. Damn. Or whatever. Um, and then the inconsistencies in the suicide note um, kind of leaves people wanting more answers, too. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of just like the... That's the Kurt Cobain's death for dummies breakdown. It's pretty tragic. Yeah. You know, makes you wonder. (laughs) Makes you wonder. Yeah, it makes me wonder why you're looking at me like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we've got one more, I guess. Yeah. One more. This one's a... I think most people are familiar with this gal. Yeah, well, she's the... Latest. We went in order from earliest to latest deaths, by the way. Mm-hmm. If people didn't catch on that. Yeah, so this one is, uh, you know, probably besides Michael Jackson, probably the saddest one for me. Wow, really? Yeah. It hits closest to home? It does. And I'm talking, of course, about the late, great Amy Winehouse. I don't know about you, Matt, but I dig her music. I always did. She's a classy gal, or maybe not so towards the end. <laughs> but, so, yeah, she's a little more straightforward than the rest of the bunch. Um, she, uh, There's been some speculation that maybe there was a little bit more to her death, but from what I gathered, it was kind of more of just a straightforward, tragic story of a bright star shine a little too bright too quickly and uh i I definitely out of all the people we've discussed so far she definitely lived the hardest and she was pretty unapologetic about it too um it all uh kind of started in 2005 her uh grandmother cynthia who she really adored like she was a big inspiration on her life she had famous tattoo dedicated to her Uh, a lot of fans would like try and copy it and the tattoo artists would you know turn it down out of respect for her um but once she fell ill in 2005 
Amy sort of took that really hard and she started going down a dark path. She started drinking a lot more. Um, she always struggled with bulimia and that sort of started coming back. Um, at this time, she was deep in a relationship with Blake Fielder Civil, her uh, piece of shit boyfriend that introduced her to heroin. And um, they were really nasty to each other. They would always be seen fighting and like, stepping out of clubs together like bruised up and shit and like fighting in public and all that and some real nasty stuff and um you know it started getting really bad and it led to her manager nick shimansky nick shimansky and her father they uh were really urging her to go to rehab and at first, she was kind of about it, but uh, ended up ditching out of that whole plan, and that's the origin story to the uh, rehab song that we all know about. And this whole time period really led to her recording um, the Back to Black album, which is considerably darker than uh, her Frank album. Uh so anyways, so she, yeah, she was just for years having uh, a rough time. She would um, tr- put on shows and just be drunk during them and just awful shows. The crowds would hate it and she would end up having to cancel even entire tours. So from 2009 to 2011 she was kind of going through a cycle of just putting on bad shows and this was around the time when the media was really starting to hit her hard and um in 2011 she uh the story goes that she was found at her estate in camden and um her bodyguard had uh tried waking her up and she usually slept in, so he didn't really think anything of it when she didn't awake. So he let her go on about her day a little bit and he came back, noticed that she had not moved. And so that's when he sprang into action, tried waking her up, and she was found dead. And this was on uh, July 23rd, 2011. The coroner reported that uh, she basically had drunk herself to death. She had a blood alcohol content of 0.416. And uh, as you all know, that will definitely kill you. Um, there's a lot of speculation as to what really led to her death. Um, her brother claims that it was having to do with her... She had a heart condition, apparently, and... After just years of uh, abusing drugs and uh, the hard lifestyle of being, you know, such a high caliber singer going all over the world, it bared on her um, her heart and the bulimia that she was going through over the years also could have contributed to that. So some people are saying that it's not just the drinking and the drugs, but all of the stress and the things that her uh, ex-husband Blake put her through. So it's a pretty sad situation. Um, 
she was an amazing artist and it would have been great to have seen where she would have gone wonder where she would have been at these days but uh i guess it's just something we'll never know and she's forever part of the 27 club and with that we're going to wrap up today's episode thank you for listening to uh episode number six on the 27 club members um Next week, we're going to be dropping another episode with our good buddy, friend of the show, Caleb Enabo, and we're going to dive into his passion of cars and the auto service industry as a whole. It's going to be a real good episode. We're excited. And yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Till next time. <laughs>